Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow. I'm Jason Duff, the IBM host today, and with me, I look after oil and gas in North America. With me today is one of my co-hosts, Jim Kosas. Hey, Jim. Hey, Jason. How's it going? Good. 2024. Feeling good for 2024? Indeed. Came quick, didn't it? Yeah. I kind of wanted to get 2023 out of the back of me. Too many health issues and sort of looking forward, and we need to get on top of COP28 issues, get going, use digital, work together as an oil and gas community and make it the world a better place, I guess, as a summary, right? Indeed. Let's put the 2023 at the bottom of the birdcage and look at 2024. So, Jim, I want to introduce, I guess we've got a real cracking company today that we were going to talk about visual inspection and reality capture, I think, which is a great way of what we want to do more in 2024. So let me introduce, first of all, Jim Hunter Bankston, who's the CEO of Echo360, and he's brought along with him Brad Arnett, who's the CTO, and Mike Sponolt, who's the COO. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. So let's start with you, Hunter. Let's do a bit of a quick, who is Hunter and tell about who are you guys, each one of you, and then we can go into the Echo 360. And Echo is CKO 360, not Echo Echo, correct? That's correct, yeah. Which you corrected (laughs) me on Friday correctly. That's right. Yeah, and there were some uh, discrepancies with the name and stuff like that, but we went with ECKO because nobody had used it and that kind of thing. As far as my background goes, I spent time doing land survey. That's in my pocket. I spent about three years doing that. I worked for a tech startup company, actually four different companies in my early 20s, doing business development and production management, these kinds of things. And basically what we did was we would develop and manufacture solar-powered surveillance trailers. These trailers could be outfitted with various sensors. So these sensors could be like weather data, or they could be counting dump trucks coming into a facility, or taking pictures of the payload of those dump trucks, or doing time lapses of the actual project. All of this information was fed to the web so that everybody in an organization could access that information very readily. And what it did was it really kept everybody on the same page. If somebody calls in, maybe a subcontractor, and says, the weather is horrible today, we have to have a rain out. Well, we could real-time check that weather and say, no, the weather is not bad, you need to be on site. (laughs) Double-checking payloads and things like that, just basically keeping everybody on task. So that's how we really got started. And these were really the early stages of what we now call reality capture. Mm -hmm. Reality capture has come a long way since then. This was back in 2005. But To fast forward, I left that company. I went into midstream working for a large oil and gas transportation company called TransCanada. Oh, okay. I was basically over project documentation and inspections. 
My job was to collect documentation on readings and logistics and how everything was flowing kind of on the job site. And what I quickly noticed was that you have these multi-billion dollar industries or organizations where the documentation just wasn't up to par with how big they were and everything. Yep. And coming from a tech background of digital documentation, I started looking into alternatives. I did that. I pitched that up a few times to prime contractors on site. That's how Echo 360 was born. It's 2016. We've been in business for about seven years now, and it has evolved very quickly. Everything is moving to data visualization. All you have to do is look at your messenger app or text messages and the fact that people are using emojis now rather than text or they don't want to read articles, they want to see video. It's all visualization. And that's really the core component of our company and what we believe in is that if we can take documentation from across the board on any large scale industrial project and we can visualize that so that everybody from the top down can be on the same page and eliminate delays and concerns and stuff like that without all the extra BS. (laughs) That's really where we want to be. We want to increase your bottom line. We want to provide safety through non-intrusive methods and stuff like that. But really, when we got started, we got started with documenting facilities on a large-scale overhaul project called the TCPL Reversal Project for TransCanada. And it was like all of these compressor stations that were being overhauled all at the same time just to be able to flow X amount of gas. Because a lot of these places, as you know, they're from the 50s and some of the equipment is outdated or it's just oh, been yes. down and that kind of thing. <laughs> it was just lots and lots of that. What we came up with was let's document this whole facility. And instead of sending eight high profile employees with like high salaries or car rentals or per diem or airfare or hotel stay. Why isn't it that we can just like duplicate this environment and then everybody sits on a conference call and they can actually annotate client concerns. Once the pre-job bid is done, you move on And you still have that documentation to refer to as found documentation where you can actually measure doorways and make sure that that in-block compressor is going to fit through that doorway or are you going to have to cut it out? Is that what Brad's showing us just now? Is that what Brad's walking us through just now? Yes, Brad's showing you right now how we got started. It's virtual representations of engine rooms, and we would scan every single aspect of this engine room. The idea is that you have these overloaded project managers. Some of these guys, I feel sorry for them, but they would have like 25 projects across the country, and there is no way in hell that they're going to be able to tell you the diameter of a doorway or something like that. Like you can determine whether you want to move, like I said, that in-block compressor through that doorway or something like that. 
And traditional methods would say that, okay, the project manager will call the site supervisor. Well, when that happens, site supervisor is now getting aggravated because he's got a deadline to meet. Typically, they're very strict on their deadlines. You know, I mean, you can get fined millions of dollars if you don't meet your deadline. Maybe he's leaving tools out or something like that. And just to go get a measurement. What are you using to capture this? Is it just normal video? Again, I'm not in this industry, Hunter, but... This is the technology called Matterport. Matterport is actually more of a reference type documentation. It's not as accurate as LiDAR, but it's not near as expensive either. I was going to ask what we discussed on Friday, isn't it? You and I discussed, we've seen some other things from other companies, but your view was this is easier and much more cost effective to use something like this than what we've seen. It's very quick. It's very easy. We can add media or annotations for readings or client concerns or deadlines, these kinds of things. And because it's visual and it's not just drawings or something like that, everybody from the top down is on the same page. They understand what is going on visually. They really connect with it. And you can use this for people if gyms starting at the station, this is what you're going to see before you walk in. So health and safety or job maintenance, exactly. et cetera, or yeah. Yeah. And it's not just that. I'll give you a couple of examples. For instance, the doorway, just having that measurement, even though that measurement is only within 1% accuracy, it's still enough to accurately tell you whether you're going to be able to move that in-block compressor through that door or not or rather you're gonna to have to cut that door out. And what that does is, is like I said, it takes that stress off of the site supervisor. His sole project is getting that engine rebuilt. Mm. So why pull him off of that? Like I said, maybe he's leaving tools around that people can trip on and stuff like that. The job site gets stressful because maybe they're not going to meet their deadline now because a project manager has called in from a desk. You get what I'm saying? And it just creates tension and it's all unnecessary. You don't need all of that. You can scan these facilities and create digital twins and then showcase these digital twins to everybody in the organization. Yeah, Hunter, you know what I really like about this is a lot of times what we see in our industry is technology and then looking for the application or the problem it solves where you kind of flip this over where what you said about kind of your background and your history is you've identified the problems and looking for technology to solve those straight away. It's one of these things where it's you're going from zero to one as opposed to like trying to figure out how to get from level eight to level 10 sort of a thing. It's like, what's the practical application that drives very tangible value very quickly? And I find that really appealing. It's a very easy solution and it's hosted on the cloud. You can actually access this information from any platform, whether it be a iPad or Android device or iPhone or your desktop. It's easy and you can actually download these environments. And if you're in a situation where you do not have Internet access, you can still access all this information. 
So Hunter, imagine a new company wanted to do this on midstream. How long would this take? Is this a month's worth of work for you guys to set up? If Jim and I had midstream ABC, what would you guys... I'm just trying to get a view of what it is. How simple is this, Hunter, versus some of the other solutions we talked about? Yes, a typical job might take six hours, and that's a big job. Wow. I think that there's some cases where... Depending on really what you're wanting, where your areas of interest are and how many scans we have to do around that area of interest, we can get this down to like two hours and it's very fast. And we're talking like it's uploaded on the Internet and completely processed the next day. And then we're able to add annotations and stuff like that. That's why I say it's like if you can utilize this technology for pre-job bidding, yeah, yeah. then you have this information moving forward through at least the first quarter of that project. And then if you want it to get on a subscription basis, you can actually document the entire process of that project and whether things were done correctly or not. And this is the core of what reality capture is and what we're going to be talking about today. It's not just Matterport. Matterport is how we got started. Yeah. But as things evolved, we started noticing that, okay, we need to get into UAS or UAV, which is basically drone services, because you can buy any platform you want. It can be a low-tier platform. It can be a mid-tier platform, high-tier platform. High-tier platforms may have like a runtime of three and a half hours or 40 mile operational radius. And then mid-tier, maybe you're looking at about an hour. Yeah. So Hunter, just like the application of this. So this is very much maintenance and repair, but is it also like health and safety and training and visual inspection or what's kind of the portfolio of uses that you've seen that customers might be interested in leveraging this for? Right. I'd like to step in if that's okay. As far as HSE goes, I would say that any time that eliminate an actual person from a dangerous situation, which could be maybe a flange that's 40 feet up in the air, or it could be now you don't have to take that ladder out, or you don't have to strap up, or even have a man lift or anything like that. UAVs have changed the game. They really have. And with everything, I'm not just talking about reference material or aerial surveying or inspections or anything like that. It's across the board. You don't need to put your people in those situations if you don't need to. And especially if it's more affordable and you have a better efficiency timeline for your deliverable, which is nine times out of 10, it's more accurate as well. That's really what we're here to preach today is to kind of showcase the advantages of these technologies. And I know there's a lot of companies that are kind of on the fence right now. And I've experienced this. I've been in it for seven years now. I would say over the last two years, there's been heavy adoption and people asking questions. And if not interested, then they're asking the questions and they're wanting to like know what is that next step. So Hunter, what's Brad showing on the screen now? Is that a pipeline? So Brad's showing right now is TDLAS or Tunable Diode Spectrometry Laser. I'll stick to TDLAS, I think. TDLAS. Yep. <laughs> what do you think, Jim? <laughs> I'll get you to say that at the end of the podcast. Simplify it. <laughs> so this is a pipeline taken from one of your drones? 
Yes, sir. What you can do is, if you look, the red line right there is kind of your KML, KMZ of the pipeline. Traditionally, what you want to do is you want to fly the left side and then the right side on the right away. The difference between this and traditional methods is, is that we're taking measurements every 20 feet. Those measurements can be categorized by low impact, which would be like green, medium impact, yellow, something that's a primary objective, which would be like red. And then each of these colorized tags have a number associated with them. That number is down to one parts per million on 20 different types of gases. So it doesn't matter, like we can do a plethora of gases, mostly methane, but on this pipeline, if you're looking, you can kind of see. And then what we did was in-house, we've made a visualization software where you can actually see heat maps of where your problem areas are. And what we can do too is, let's say your schedule with the EPA is because of population density or something like that, it's once a quarter. We'll fly this pipeline that first quarter. We'll identify exactly where your priorities are. We'll send a text message out to the area operator there saying this needs to be fixed immediately. So you can put layer upon layer on a time frame. So understanding of, dude, Jason Duff's not done anything on that. It was red last quarter. It's still red. What on earth are you guys doing? Or it's gone from yellow to red, which is probably more, got it. When you get to that next quarter, you can tell, okay, this priority hasn't been addressed. If you back up a bit, Hunter, for the people that don't, I mean, how high are you flying the drones at this point? And then I guess for the people that don't do this, how are you capturing these points and how are you capturing the leaks? Just roughly. We're shining a laser down. It's got about a two and a half foot circumference, right? Where it's hitting the ground. And we're flying that from roughly 100 to 150 feet, something like that down the right of way. Now, here's the thing. In traditional methods, you're using a sniffer. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that's what people would normally see as a sniffer for the leakage, right? It's on a side-by-side or something like that. There's problems with that. Some of the problems are going to be like wind is going to be blowing and it's going to affect I've that. seen those before, yeah, because you have to go back to where the hell is it coming from versus the wind right, direction, right, right. There's times where even if you're just sitting stationary and you're trying to take a reading from three feet off the ground or whatever. It's just not as accurate. The lasers that we're shining, they are hitting at ground level. And then you got that two and a half foot circumference that you're actually measuring on. What ends up happening is you're getting readings from the seepage point where they're coming directly out of the ground. And that is the most accurate place that you can get this information from. And then on top of that, it's being geographically located. So sorry, I'm going to be stupid now. This is pipe under the ground, Hunter, or pipe above the ground? Under the ground. So this is underground. Okay, so this is pipe under the ground, laser down. You're, the laser's detecting above where the pipe is, where the leakage is actually happening. It's detecting the seepage yep. from the leak that is coming up through the ground. Yep. However, it's detecting that seepage right at that source point. 
if that makes sense. So the, the capture is more precise. And then the thing that's probably hard to convey on the podcast is just looking at the visualization right now. It puts it all into context very easily. So, I mean, you've got an improved measuring system and then looking at what looks like an actual map. It's not like a computer generated one with all the tags associated where you can visually look at this, what looks like over several miles. You can kind of see where the hot spots are, the priority areas. And then as you zoom into it, you see the tagging at a more detailed level. So you're just being a, the old adage of pictures worth a thousand words. I'm sure if you could document all this stuff and look at a report and kind of try to figure out what's going on. But here you look at this very quickly and get a good understanding of it. No where you want to investigate it further. Jim, I want to try and show the listeners this. I'll try and do it and try and use this podcast as a video and see if I can, because you're right. Once you see the video, you know exactly. That's why I met Hunter and Brad last week. I was like, dude, we really need to show this because I think it just visually strong, as you said, Hunter, versus a report where Jim would go, okay, so what do I need to do next? Yeah, I'm sure some of this shows up in that report, but when you look at it visually, you just pulling the information. And then Hunter, at your point, where do you end as Echo 360 versus the service? Is this as far as you would go if you're working with a company? It's like, guys, that's what I've got. I'm going to shoot you a text and then, or APIs. I mean, is that the point where you go, guys, I've done my work. It's over to whatever you guys want to do on your back end. I mean, we can generate reports with lat longs and the PPM that reading that we got and things like that. But once we have our findings and we send them over, it's really up to the owner of the pipeline or the service provider to take care of that. Now, could you imagine though, Hunter, I mean, Jim, you and I talking, but imagine you could automate that service. I'm thinking of the companies listening to this, that you use Hunter and Echo360's business model, you do this, but it doesn't even need to be text message. It could be automated, Jim, of, hey, Jim, regional leads, you've got two red leaks or two red zones. You've had them for two quarters now. What are you doing with it? You could almost automate the process, couldn't you? Right. Push out the notification and everything else. Michael, you're go ahead. There are push notifications set for certain thresholds as determined by our clients. So if a client is more concerned about a PPM of like 300 and above, those will be automatically push notified. Otherwise, they get a general report of the entire site regardless. Got it. And look, here's another thing. This isn't just pipelines. This is valve yards. It's compressor stations. The use cases are, they're all over the board. It's something that really gives you a great handle on the health of your facility. And when we combine TDLAS, which is what you're looking at right now on the screen, with something called OGI, which is optical gas imaging. Now with the two paired, you meet Quad Zero A compliance, which has not been heavily enforced within the last few years, but I feel that like this is something that's coming because we're starting to get some phone calls about it and getting questions and stuff like that. I feel like this is something moving forward that is gonna be a new standard. I think with methane leakage and everything, COP28, late 2023, and everyone getting their head on it. Let me ask a stupid question, Hunter. If you're not doing this with Echo360, what are companies doing? How are they managing this? Are they just measuring it a different way? Are they? Yeah, they're on side-by-sides with sniffers. So it goes back to the sniffers and then showing the, the graphs that all of us have seen before. But when the problem is the wind's drafting the bloody gas and you're trying to work out where did it come from? And it's not just that either. It's also like if you're going off a of dead vegetation, 
how do you timeline that? Yeah. It's a matter of like, basically, if you can get these services for the same exact cost, or at least even close, it's a no-brainer, yeah. honestly. I was going to say is kind of the same point that Hunter was making just there. One of the ways of just kind of finding leaks over like large ranges, they're having small planes go through like effectively just uh, bush planes and go ahead and do aerial inspections. They'll take yeah. photographs and where they find dead vegetation, they say, oh, there might be a potential problem there. Now, I don't have to tell anyone that vegetation could die for multiple reasons, but of course, if it's happening <laughs> on a right away, you can probably guess what's going on. But after the problem is supposed to have been mitigated, the stuff doesn't just grow back instantly. Like you can't just go back and retest. Well, if you're using TD last, you can go back through without having to send a team on side by sides. That's got to get through that right away. And whatever challenges that's going to entail, however many miles from a roadway, instead, you just get to refly the drone, find all of the locations that might've had issues and instantly tell. And that's another thing down at the bottom of the screen. This doesn't have any subsequent capture at this location. So I can't show you on the timeline the difference, but on a timeline, you can just instantly go ahead and click through when you're using a software like this and see if an issue was mitigated from check to check, whether that's quarterly, whether that's yearly, you can see if something's been mitigated and you're not reliant on vegetation regrowing in an area. For that matter, you're not reliant on somebody's subjective opinion on whether vegetation is starting to brown in a location. You're not reliant. Got it. Yeah, it eliminates a lot of the subjectivity. I guess, is there any qualification? Again, if you started doing this, Brad, Hunter, what do you need? I would assume there's some things you can and cannot do with a drone. And then laser is always a little bit of a question for me of, uh, do you need approvals? Do you not? I mean, how does this, again, I'm not in that market, but do you guys make a comment about that? The laser is safe. It's either class one or class two, depending on the actual device. And either way, it's safe for incidental contact, but nobody's likely to be able. So the laser is shot straight down, Nader. You would literally have to be looking straight up into the apparatus whenever it's flying overhead, which, again, not too awful likely, especially out in those right of ways where there's not going to be anyone. So the laser itself isn't a problem. The drone, depending on the size of the facility, so if it's something like a uh, valve yard, we've got completely electric options. If it's many miles of right of way and pipeline, then We've got a hybrid option that is gas powered, but literally if the motor stalls, it has battery backup, it has prop redundancy, the aircraft is not going to just fall out of the sky under any circumstances. <laughs> We've been issued special uh, waivers by the FAA in the past for jobs like this would acquire something. It's called a BVLOS waiver for beyond visual line of sight. And the drone hardware that we use is especially suitable for receiving that kind of clearance. So, of course, we also go through, Mike could tell you uh, more, we go ahead and we check all of the actual air grids, the sectional charts, and make sure that we're not flying over any kind of FAA-restricted airspace. Yeah. Like you said, though, I think stock yards would also be some of these massive yards. You guys know better than I do are massive, and you'd need to do this. But also, I imagine... Middle of Texas, like we're seeing now, I think it's the pipeline coming out the station. That's where probably the leakage is going to happen a lot of. I would imagine even pipes above the ground, maybe I'm being visual, it's easy, but surely you could do a pipe above the ground as well, can you? No 
doubt. Absolutely. Yeah, so not only with this TD Lass and OGI technology kind of like leaning towards the future of mitigation using ultrasonic thickness testing drones, drones that can actually fly up to the side of a container or a pipe and it can leverage itself relative to the pipe surface and take a measurement Instead of setting up scaffolding or something like that, you're actually being able to determine your cathodic protection on a system as well as if there's like how much rust has developed in an area and generate reports. There's uh, drones that are coming out now that have that agility to them to where they can actually change their angle of attack relative to the surface that they're trying to measure. Cool. And this is stuff you guys have got into, I guess you don't want to talk about clients' names specifically, Hunter, but you and I talked about, I think on Thursday or Friday last week, there's clients that are using this and big multinationals, and that's the bit that you want to get out to. How do you get exposure to this more and show more and more companies, a lot of it midstream, but also maybe operators, that they can utilize this technology, right, Hunter? Correct, yeah. We've been at this for seven years, almost a decade. We've got a great team. We've got state-of-the-art equipment, including custom-built server for quickly processing information and getting it over extremely quickly. We feel positioned in a way where we can compete with anybody nationally. We're positioned on the Gulf Coast in Hammond, Louisiana, where we have I-12 and I-55. We can get anywhere in Louisiana within an hour. We can get to Texas very quickly, Mississippi, Alabama. Our future is that we want to be the premier UAV remote sensing company for the Gulf South. That's our goal. I feel like we've got the equipment, we got the personnel. We really just need to get our name out there. You know, I mean, we know what we're doing. Well, number one, I think what Jim and I can do, I think is number one, get this podcast out. People will listen to this, Jim, and understand. I think secondly, there's some of the clients that we've got, Jim, or connections that would easily be very interested in these use cases and what we're doing, right, Jim? Yeah, and absolutely. Again, what I really like about this is that it's complex information that when visualized makes it very easy to consume. It's kind of like being able to accelerate that digital journey really quickly where you're able to, anyone when they look at these images is going to have a much better understanding of the situation as a result. And that's pretty powerful. Uh, Jim, you know what I like about it is as well, if you do it again, another quarter or a week, whatever you do, Hunter, I guess every month or every quarter, you could at least go back and sense check the issues and understand where you are very, very simply using the same technology and then home in on the real issues. That's the key. And you really know where you stand. It's not just making the motions. How many miles of pipe are we looking at on Brad's screen just now? Anyone got a view on that? Is that a mile, a couple of miles? I believe it was like 2.7 miles, I believe it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't an overly large project. We have other ones on the horizon. No, no, it's cool. Just to give a good visualization miles, so. when the listeners brad are coming on mike i think it'd be great to as jim said i think it's impressive rather than talk about then jim this is why i said i want you to get a video and show the visual once you see it you get it but i think just putting a mileage to it you kind of understand this is something that i find that these organizations are interested in they're definitely asking questions and stuff like that but we're right at that point where people are starting to to jump over we want to be the authoritative figure yeah for sure 
Yeah, so guys, just if you were to kind of bring it home on it, so the leak detection one we went into some detail on, kind of maintenance and repair, but almost like if you were to say, you might want to reach out to Echo 360 if what? If you wanted to lower the cost of your leak detection activities, maintenance and repair, health and safety, how would you round it out for folks listening? I would say if you want to kind of automate that process and not have live warm bodies down the pipeline, you want to reduce safety risks, you want to ensure the integrity of your assets. There's a whole list. I mean, there's a plethora of reasons why. We just need some people to dip their foot in the water. Yeah, it feels like one of those things where it's like, surely there's a better way to do this, right? Hasn't anyone figured it out? And it sounds like you guys have. It's been around for a while. This industry specifically has kind of waited, and I get it. It was in the gray area, that kind of thing. It's not anymore. The EPA completely totally agree. endorses all of this technology now. I think it's a number of things, Hunter, isn't it? I think Jim and I see that as well with midstream. It's consolidation, people buying people. Dude, if you just look at the systems and the hardware and how many operating procedures, it's companies buying companies, but now they're getting to a point on how do we consolidate? How do we standardize? Jim, for me, this is a great way to show, dude, if you're doing it somewhere other else, how do you not standardize this and automate the next process of focusing on where your methane leak is? It shows you exactly where you are. I'd also want to stand out that a lot of the standards that we're basing our data collection methods on are from renowned institutes like the ASPRS for surveying with LIDAR, using information on digital platforms is just converting that information from spreadsheets that you would normally have to go through tables and find specific information about a specific area and just digitizing it into a visual medium. That way, whenever anybody looks at it, they don't have to go to the table sheet, find out the exact zone that they have to be looking for, find out what the standardized PPM reading is for that area, and then go look at, okay, what was the PPM on the Excel sheet or whatever. They can literally just, okay, I know I'm having an issue near the valve yard at this intersection. Let's zoom in, see what the PPM reading was over the last four months and see and change. On top of that, one of the things that this platform can implement as well, other than the drone data that we're importing from our report, is say, for instance, you have a facility that you have had a Matterport scan on. Mm -hmm. We could tag that facility to this, and that furthers the implementation of various technologies that we use. So you can go into a link, and when you go into that link, you have all the embedded actions inside that link. And some of those embedded principles can be sensors, like Internet of Things sensors that can send data continuously And if you set up a platform with an Internet of Thing sensor, you can then say, I want to get an alert whenever this happens. It doesn't even have to be a flight that we do, but you can set it up with our platform to where we're going to get an alert whenever something like this happens. Maybe you have H2S sensors at an area. Obviously, if nobody's in the area, when the H2S sensor goes off, that's the best news you can get. The worst news you can get is whenever a sensor goes off and there's people present at that time. So being able to have an internet-ready device on your facility to give you alerts to those kind of things, that's where I think other than our 
capture principles, the platform also works towards combining as much digital twin information as possible. And that's where like the digital twin world kind of goes. You have technologies that are remote sense data, such as photos and video or 3D virtual tours. And then you also have PPM readings and other stuff like that. But whenever you start combining everything into one cohesive environment, that's whenever you're really digitizing your environment to best help you with making a long-term protection of your assets. Yeah. Wrapping this up, I think, Jim, maybe I'd Hunter. Maybe something like at NAEP or some of the exhibitions coming up this year, we could do a live podcast and try and help you guys get the name out. Maybe we try and grab a client and try and go through some live data of what would actually happen. Let's think about that as well, because I love this. Really, really clear. This is why Jim grabbed you and said, hey, we should take this to a couple of clients that you and I know where Hunter and the guys don't know. This is a real easy conversation, I think, Jim, right? Yeah, it's really exciting to see it like right in front of you. And I think it's one of these things where, again, a lot of customers, a lot of folks are saying, there's got to be a way to do this. How do I get started? Meeting with folks like you all who've been out there doing this for a while, I think, just connects the dots from I'd like to do it to actually doing it. Hunter, what I'll do is I'll put each one of your emails on the echo360.com website on the footnotes as well, so people can get a hold of you. But any last comments, Hunter? I think for me, that's really, really clear great products and a great company i think really a good podcast as well hunter any last words we appreciate the platform to ramble on a little bit about our passion that's good i can feel the passion dude it's the same as i said thursday friday i love that jim will tell you emotion and passion does it all for me yeah it's very cool yes sir Uh, yeah let's try and do something at an exhibition hunter i don't know what it is but just thinking on my feet no, it'd be real cool to see this up close and show the people and drill into it and almost use a podcast style maybe format to work out have brad driving it and then you and i talking about what you're seeing where you're going to go love to do that somewhere etc cool absolutely definitely yes sir cool well thank you very much guys and good luck in 2024 thank you sir thank you cheers guys cheers thank you join us again next week on the energy workforce of tomorrow podcast a production of the oil and gas global network to learn more go to oggn.com (laughs) 